0: about the power that God has and about the power that he displays and we talked about out of Luke chapter 8 when when they were in the boat and all of a sudden the waves started crashing over Jesus was asleep in the back and the disciples came to him and they said Jesus we're drowning Jesus get up Jesus do something we're in trouble Jesus got up and he told the wind he said shh and when Jesus told the wind to shh you know this isn't in the Bible I don't believe the wind was blowing anywhere The whole world just stopped. Jesus has full authority over all creation. He has full authority over all nature, that even the winds and the waves obey his voice. So, so they, the boat ride continues. They get over to the area of the garrisons and they get out of the boat and when they get out of the boat, bam, they're met with this dude that you couldn't tie down. You couldn't lock up. They, they met and they, the chains, they couldn't keep on him. This dude was a bad dude. This guy would have put Chuck Norris to shame in his day and they meet him and they're like, and they're like oh my goodness, look who that is. Jesus gets out of the boat because the Savior of all fears nothing. Savior of all, fears nothing. He gets out of the boat. The demon runs to him. The demon falls. The demon falls. Man couldn't contain the demon, but seeing the Lord Jesus, he declared him Lord. He knew who he was. He begged for mercy, and he hit the deck. Man, if we had the faith of that demon. Begged Jesus for mercy. God handled his business. He cast the demons out into the pigs, and they they ran down And they died in the lake there, right outside the era of the Gerasenes. That led us to this. We have seen the displayed power of Christ all through the Bible. We're talking about a man who raised the dead to life, not once, not twice, not three times, but at least four different times that are recorded in the New Testament that Jesus raised someone who was dead back to life. He he healed people. He allowed people to walk who had never walked before. He allowed people to speak who had never spoke before. He allowed people who had never had vision, and all of a sudden they see crystal clear, my friends. I don't even think they needed readers. You know what I'm saying? Like, when Jesus did things, he healed them, and he was doing all kinds of things. He took a little kid's lunchbox that his mama fixed him to go fishing with, and he fed seven to 8,000 people off a little boy's lunch. The power of Jesus is limitless. And yet the church today is so powerless. If we're going to identify with a holy, risen Savior, then we need to identify with the power. And what power are we talking about specifically? Because listen, all that other stuff, all, everything up to this point that Jesus did, man, it was crazy. It was impressive. It was all kinds of, we had never seen that kind of power before, all of, but. But had Jesus not got up from the dead, had Jesus not got up from the dead, we wouldn't still be talking about it. We wouldn't still be talking about it. If he would have died that day in Jerusalem and stayed dead from then through now, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be meeting. Probably a good day to play golf or go fishing or go shopping or whatever you wanted to do on Sunday. But my friend, Jesus got up. So the power that we live in, it's not the power of the miracles, although those are fantastic and fascinating. We live in the power of the resurrection. The power where Jesus being fully dead, he wasn't asleep, he didn't pass out, he didn't faint, he wasn't playing a big joke. Jesus was dead, and yet in his power, in his power, he raised that dead body back to life. And then he tells his disciples, You will do greater things than even I. Anybody believe in that today? Jesus said, you'll do greater things than even I could even fathom. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. Jesus was so excited to leave, not because he didn't like the place, although this isn't our home. He was excited because he was giving you a gift of the Holy Spirit. God was going to move in, take residence in your soul. And he said, you'll do greater things than even I. And yet we walk around often. Powerless. In fact, it's so rare to see someone doing something incredible for the kingdom that when we see it, we automatically discredit it. When we see it, we automatically now discredit it. And I'm just as guilty as you are. So if you don't keep up with um, maybe Christian literature or anything like that, yesterday the world was supposed to end. So they missed that. Um, I'm always, I'm always, little, when somebody says the world's going to end, and it's always September 23rd. The world's going to end on September the 23rd. Um, well, it's September 24th. And I'm still here. I can't speak for anyone in the room, but me. I should have gotten left, all right? Um, Jesus didn't come back. The eastern sky didn't part. Because um, even Jesus himself doesn't know when he's coming back. He's waiting on marching orders from daddy. And daddy hadn't looked at him and said, go get him yet. Um, although, albeit, I think we're close. I think we're, cl- we're a day closer than we've ever been. And so I'm excited about what the Lord is up to. I'm excited about what the Lord is up to in our church. And so I pray, and where our prayer life has been all week as not only a staff, but just some of the leadership that I trust in and kind of bounce ideas off of, that we would catch the power that the Lord has given to us. We would just get a taste of what it means to live in the power of the Lord. So in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi who is struggling with their identity in Christ. And they're struggling with um, having to embrace persecution and embrace trials and tribulations. So this is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to them. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection And may be in suffering, becoming like him in his death. We pray over this scripture, Father, that you would use it for the glorification of your name, for the edification of the saints. God, we pray that we would grow in the likeness of Christ. For those who have never received Christ as their Savior, whether they've been around church their whole life or not, that you would penetrate their hearts. Reveal to them their depravity and allow them to seek you for salvation. God, we can't live in your power until we experience you as our Lord. So we trust you today. We love you today. We give you authority over this time. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. To know the power of the resurrection, we must first experience the obedience of Christ. So when we start thinking about understanding and embracing the power of the resurrection, Jesus just isn't giving you the authority and the reins of of this world and say, go get them. The first call for the believer is obedience. So when we think through this, when we think about salvation, Christ saves you. And the very first thing he calls you to post your salvation is obedience. He says, I want you to be obedient through baptism. If you've never been baptized, you're not obedient. In fact, that means you started your relationship with Christ in disobedience because he's called you to water baptism. It's a picture. Listen, there's no salvific power in baptism. When we fill this bad boy up, and we've done it a lot this year, you're no more saved when you come out of that water than you were when you went in the water, but you're a lot more obedient when you come out of that water than you were before. And so we, we get saved and we become obedient. Obedient. God's about you following his word. Now you're going to ask me, so, so Pastor Jeff, does that mean that God's just a, a, just a rule follower and he's got rules for my life and I've just got to check rule after rule? No, no, no. That's not it at all. God's not about you following rules. God's about you being holy. And when you start in the realm of holiness, you will long for obedience. You will long to serve the Lord faithfully and you will long to to please him like like a little boy trying to please his father. You remember growing up in school and I don't care how old you are, you had this conversation at some point, maybe not ladies because I've never been a girl so I don't know that you had it, but every guy in the room has at least said one time to someone else, my daddy can whoop your daddy. Right? Everybody has said like, all right, we, we, all right. you verify. We, we speak like that of our father. We, we love our father. We want to please him. Do you remember? Man, my dad could cut me to the quick with his voice. He didn't stop there. Like the belt came out. But just with his voice, he could. I wanted to please him. I didn't want to live a life being alienated from him. I didn't want to be um, just this guy who always pressed against the authority of my father. As a young boy, I wanted to please him. I wanted him to be proud of me. The same affection we should ha- it's the same affection we should have for the Lord Jesus, that we're not just checking rules off because they're in the Bible, but in our obedience, we want to follow after the Lord. Living the Father's will for your life. What does it mean to, to live God's will for your life? God has a plan for everyone in here. Look at your neighbor this morning and tell them, God has a plan for your life. Now, your plan may not be my plan. Seminary may not be in your future. And if it's not, praise God for that, okay? Your plan's not my plan. My plan's not your plan. God has a plan for each one of us, and we're all different. You can't look at my life and say, I'm going to mimic that because your life will be a mess. I can't look at your life and say, oh, that's cool, I want to move there, because that's not where God has me. God has a distinct plan for my life, and he has a will for my life, and he wants me to be obedient in that. But we have to get there. You remember Jesus in his moment when he was fixing to be captured by the Roman guards there. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's falling on the rock, and he's praying in the garden, and he says, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. For us as believers to embrace the power of the Lord, for us to live in the, the will of the Father for our life, we must come to our Gethsemane moment. We must come to our Gethsemane moment where we have a moment where we break down. And this is, this is, this is key because, and this is where I think we struggle. What Jesus did in the garden was say, Lord, this is going to be fun. I know what's next. I know they're gonna pluck my beard. I know they're gonna take a leather whip and beat my flesh off my back. I know they're going to mock me. I know they're gonna throw wool coats on me so that it absorbs into the blood and about the time the clot starts setting up, they're gonna rip it back off just so I keep bleeding. They're gonna make fun of you. They're gonna have blasphemous in their souls. They're gonna drive nails into my wrist and into my feet. I know this is coming. He says, if there's any way to take this cup from me, take it from me. But then he says some key language. He says, Lord, he says, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. For us as believers, we have to come to that point where we say, Lord, I've got some plans. Maybe maybe you're a teenager and you're like, I'm thinking college. I'm thinking real life, I'm thinking a job, I'm thinking adulthood, all of these things. But if there's not the trump card in the Lord's will, you're doing it wrong. If God doesn't have authority over your life, and God, adults, you too, if God doesn't have the authority over your life, you've never submitted it to him. He doesn't want to rent it, he doesn't want to lease it. He wants to have it from now on. So when Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but yours, he gave complete authority to the Father. Lord, I'm not going to change what you're saying. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be obedient even to death. I'm going all the way for you, Lord. There's nothing. I'm I'm a living sacrifice. That's what, and on Wednesday night, we're walking through Hebrews, and we we just finished studying about, about how um, Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac and what that was going to represent, all that God did and God provided. Jesus has provided our, our release from that and the sacrifice of his son Christ, but he's called us to be a living sacrifice sold out to the kingdom of the Lord. Is your life sold out this morning? Like if, we, if you allowed us to look through every chapter of your life, Every section, even those dark secrets that you would cringe if I knew about. Are you sold out to the Lord? Does the Lord have your authority? Because remember what Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You can't have two, you you will only have one. And my fear is for the southern church, those Kentucky South, all the way across Texas, we've gotten so used to this southern church culture but we're still hanging on to our authority. We don't like Christ being Lord of all. We don't like Christ being Lord of all. We trust him in some areas, but it terrifies us to let go. And Jesus is saying, not my will, Lord, not my will, but yours. So we gotta get to our Gethsemane moment. We gotta begin trusting on Him, but we also have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus was so excited. He said, He said, I'm sending you the gift, and then Pentecost happened. Thousands of people came to faith and repentance in Christ, and they began relying on the Holy Spirit. God moved into the cavity of your chest at salvation, and we no longer have to go to a temple or a synagogue to worship Jesus. Instead, he's taking residence inside of you through the Holy Spirit. We must rely on him. Let's begin to trust what the Lord has for us. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches hearts. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God speaks to you through his Holy Spirit. You ever been somewhere and the Holy Spirit calls you to do something? I almost had a wreck on 75 the other day. The Lord said, turn it around. And I just I just dukes a hazard that thing right in the middle of 75. We rely on the Holy Spirit, we listen to the Holy Spirit, we respond to the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, let me warn you of something. When you start saying no to the Holy Spirit, the next time the Holy Spirit prompts you, it will be easier to say no. And then the next time it'll be even easier, even easier to you don't even experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life anymore. Am I saying you're not saved? Certainly not. I am saying you're in discord with the Spirit. I'm saying that you have fallen out. And what, We're going to start a series in Galatians next week. Um, and we're going to get to about chapter 5 when it talks about falling away. You have fallen away from the favor of the Lord. You're still a believer. You're not in good favor. We must rely on the Holy Spirit, trusting that God's got a a plan for us, trusting that God's going to provide, because if God calls you to something, He's going to provide for it. He's never called somebody to something and said, hey, good luck. We hope you get there. He's always provided. Secondly, we must live like we know we should. We must live like we know we should. We have to get past what it means to be a casual Christian because that's not biblical. Like, if Jesus is Lord of your life between 10.30 and 11.45 on Sunday, then he's not Lord of your life at all. He's not asked for part-time. He's not asked for Wednesdays. He's not asked for Sundays. He's asked for every day. He's asked to be your Lord of the good times and the bad times. He's asked to be your Lord over your family and over your finances. He's asked to be your Lord over every single junction that you have. He's asked to be your Lord over all, and he is faithful today. Anybody testifying? the Lord's faithful today? He wants you to live in boldness. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 19, it says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. The the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be bold. You need to walk around like your daddy owns everything because he does. You need to walk around with boldness and a backbone. The biggest issue in the church is not our doctrine, although some churches that can be the problem. It's not all of these things. It's not our worship styles. It's not, it's not the pastor's dress. The biggest issue of our church is that believers walk out without boldness. We just got little bitty Christians. We just got little bitty easy Christians. The Apostle Paul didn't walk into a city Fearful. Him walking to a city, fearful. He walked into the city knowing he was going to be beat, knowing he was going to be persecuted, knowing he was going to be attacked, but he perceived that the gospel was better than any persecution he may receive. He believed that God was better. He believed that the message of the gospel was crucial. So it didn't matter what you did to that brother. He was faithful and he lived in boldness. you got to live without fear of suffering and trials. The American church has gotten really comfortable really comfortable not experiencing what it means to suffer and be tried. Like We think of suffering and trials as like you getting into McDonald's and them telling you that their ice cream machine's down. Right? Because that thing's always down. We're going to get an ice cream machine next week. That thing ain't gonna be down, all right? (laughs) We're going to live and be ready for suffering and trials. If you think you can be a devout follower of Jesus and be a part of suffering and trials, you're not reading your Bible. Remember, all the disciples died for their faith, all the apostles died for their faith. You're like, what about John? Yes, thank you for reading your Bible. John was boiled alive, and when that didn't kill him because they couldn't get the oil hot enough to boil his flesh off, they cut his tongue out and sent him to Patmos, and that's where he died. So we're not really blurring some lines there if we think John got a pass. Suffering and trials are going to be known to the believer. Listen, when you take a stand for Christ, and if our church would take a stand for Christ, opposition is going to come. Opposition is going to come. When you stand up, people will like, well, look who they are. Oh, goody two shoes over there living for Jesus. Because when they can't discredit your message, they'll attack your character. When they can't, when they can't discredit your message, because there's a life change in you, because we can see the works of the Lord, they'll begin to attack you. Be ready for it. As a believer, when you begin to live without the fear of suffering, and you're not worried about that, you're not worried about the trials, then you won't worry about persecution or death. Then you won't worry about persecution or death. So what you're saying is, Jeff, you mean I could die serving faithfully for Jesus? Yes. Pastor, I, I, I could be persecuted for serving Jesus if you're doing it right. Yes. Yes. As you make a stand, you will make people uncomfortable. As you make a stand, you're going to press against the mold. Our culture isn't known for holiness, but when you take a stand for Christ, you will be. And so you will face opposition. You will face tension and pressure. But don't fear these things. Do you know, right now, in the country of China, I think I've told you this before, they're experiencing the the greatest awakening awakening of evangelism in all of written history. It's recorded by their population that now 10% of the Chinese are evangelists, or 10% are evangelized. Um, The IMB has that number closer to 30% of the billion people that live in China. We're talking 10 years ago, you die for this. Ten years ago, you're murdered for this. Ten years ago, your whole family stamped out for this. And they've tried to suppress it. They've tried to keep it down. They've put pastors in prison. And they do all of these things. And you know what happens when they do? You know what happens when persecution comes? It weeds out those marginals. It weeds out those who aren't really believers. They just like the music or the community. But have never trusted in the Lord for their salvation. It weeds them out. And the church shines bright. So I don't, I don't pray at night, Lord, don't send persecution. I kind of think it would kind of spur us into gear. Don't fear persecution. Somebody, What if they don't like me? What, what if they don't? What if they think I'm some, some right-wing nut job? Let them, let them think it. Because what if through that, they hear the gospel and they respond? What if through their attack on you they see something in you that represents the Christ-likeness that we've been called to and they respond? What if we quit worrying about what people think or impressing social media platforms and what if we started living for the glory of the Lord? What's lacking in our culture is living without fear. What's lacking in our culture is boldness. Lord, I pray that we would get bold in our faith. Next we live empowered. What does it mean to live empowered? First Corinthians 1.18 says for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Listen to me if Jesus is your salvation then let him be your power. If Jesus is your salvation, let him be your power. Say it with me. If Jesus is your salvation, then let him be your power. He's not asking you to be a lone ranger. He's asking you to be faithful. And when you become faithful, you will become powerful as you experience the word of the Lord, as you experience what it means to to know God, and you experience what it means to to be filled with the Spirit, you're going to have power you didn't know you had. You're going to have power you didn't know you had. The first time the disciples walked up to somebody and said, be healed in the name of Jesus, and that brother was healed, it messed them up. They weren't even ready for it. They didn't know that they had this power that the Holy Spirit had empowered them, but they had power, and then they embraced it, and they used it for the glory. When you make a stand for Jesus, he's going to empower you. He will give you words to speak that you didn't know you could say. He'll give you verses of Scripture that you hadn't read in 20 years. He'll recall them to your mind. He will give you boldness that jail and losing everything you have is still worth it. The Apostle Paul said, I lost everything. Everything. I gave it up. I willingly laid it all down so that I could live for the glory of Jesus so that Christ may be known. We can't build our kingdoms here. You see, Satan wants to hold you back. So when you make a stand for the Lord, Satan's gonna tell you, these are just lies of the Satan that he's gonna tell you, he's gonna say, You're not worthy. You remember that sin you've got. You remember that that ailment you've got, you you stutter, you have speech impediment, you do this, you do that. Somebody's more qualified. He's going to begin discrediting you, but I want you to remember some things this morning. First, I want you to remember that you are blood-bought. You are blood-bought. Christ didn't pick you up on clearance. He paid premium for you. He paid premium for you. Salvation is free, a free gift from the Lord, but it wasn't cheap. You are blood-bought, meaning Christ, His blood covered your sin debt if you've received him and now you're set free you are redeemed you are redeemed the lord reached down rescued you put your feet on a solid rock and you are redeemed not only are you redeemed my friend but you are set free you are set free. That means sin has no, no, no chains on you. Sin has no bondage on you. Sin has no power over you. In fact, I will argue the only sin that affects the believer is what the believer puts himself in. Satan has no authority over my life. At salvation, I gave authority to the Lord. Satan doesn't have control over. So all of my sin issue that I get myself in is what I put myself in because the Lord has given me the spirit to overcome. The Lord has given me the ability that when sin's knocking out the door, he's given me an escape through a window. The Lord has given me his spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from sin. So you've been set free today. Not only have you been set free, but listen to this, you're called. The Lord has called you by name. At salvation, God called your name. he wasn't calling someone else and you overheard it. God specifically and intentionally called your name. God of all things, Jehovah God, Elohim, Yahweh God, spoke your name. I should give you chills that a God that powerful desires to know you. Not only have you been called, listen to this, you're an heir. You're an heir. God thinks so much of you. He's adopted you in. He's given you a new name. He's given you new authority. He's now said you got the keys to the kingdom. He's saying you're going to be like Christ. We're gonna you're going to be exalted up in glory. What is Christ will now become yours. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. Not because you're awesome, but because of what the Lord has done in you. He says, "I've given you all things." He says, "Then you're empowered." The Lord didn't save you, leave you here to flail around like a fish. He's empowered you. You wonder why you're wired the way you are? Because the Lord's empowered you. Some of you are a little different, but the Lord's got you for a task. He's empowered you to do the task He's called you to. He's empowered you to do the task He's called you to. When we trust and embrace the spirit of The Lord. Thirdly, we live for a heavenly kingdom. We live for a heavenly kingdom. And what this implies is that we're going to live like our kingdom is in glory. You may get uncomfortable there at this point, and that's okay, because I was. When you buy things, do you buy them for the sake of you or for the sake of the kingdom? When you spend your money, is it for you or is it for the sake of the kingdom? When you tithe, is that for you or the sake of the kingdom? When you show up for church, is that you? Is that the sake of the kingdom? When you witness to people, is it you or is it for the sake of the kingdom? When we start living like the kingdom that we're building is in glory, it will drastically change how we live. It will drastically change how we live. But listen to me, because this is countercultural. This is countercultural. Our world says you will be happy if you buy it, and whatever it is, new iPhone's coming out. If you, oh, if you just had that new iPhone, your life would be so cool. Everybody'd be envious. But if you had that new truck, if you had that new car, if you had that new new outfit, those shoes, that dress, that hat, that sunglasses, that new everything that new fishing rod that new golf club if you had that your life would be complete if you had a bigger house if you had a, a bigger whatever that your life would be complete and when we buy that logic we've lost a heavenly kingdom when we buy into that garbage because listen everything i just mentioned that you could go buy will expire if you're fired up about that new iPhone, guess what Apple's going to do next year? they release another one. You're fired up about that new house. Guess what? Hot water heater's going to go out. You're going to have new hardwood floors. What are you going to hang on to that's eternal? Nothing. You don't like how you look? You're going to go get liposuction. You're going to hit a buffet. It's coming right back. Let your kingdom, what you're living for, be eternal. Lose the earthly kingdomship, stop building for a comfortable life here, and start living for an eternal life there. What's 80 years if you made it that long? 80 years in light of a calendar that never ends. What's 100 years in light of a calendar that never ends? Let our lives be proof that we're living for a kingdom that's in glory. That means we make kingdom decisions. Should I go to church today? Absolutely. Let that be a kingdom decision that your family makes every week. I had an opportunity to talk with a fellow this week. He just showed up at our church. He was here picking up something, some pallets that we had sitting outside. and I had the opportunity to um, just kind of build him up a little bit. He was talking about how his church attendance isn't very full-time. And I just kind of to him that that means his affection for the Lord is not full time because when the doors are open here I want to be here not because I'm legalistic, not because I get paid, not because of any of that but when Jesus said don't forsake the gathering of God's people, I took him for his word when Jesus said be with the saints, I took him for his word I took him, that was his call for my life was to be plugged in because I know that I can't do it alone I need you I need you for the sake of the ministry. I can't do it alone. I'm not empowered to do it alone. I'm not gifted to do it alone. But when we get together, we are. So we make kingdom decisions. Am I going to get in debt with a new house? Or am I going to live within my means knowing that if I do that, I can give money away to the needy? Am I going to get a new truck? Or am I going to be able to give to the church for the sake of ministry? Am I going to do this? Every decision we make has kingdom consequences. And we're building one of two kingdoms at every decision. Make the right decision. So we make kingdom decisions, but we also have kingdom speech. When you speak, when you're around people, your speech will affect what kingdom you're building. If you're building people up in the gospel, if you're a gospel sharer, if you're a disciple maker, if you're building people up for the kingdom, you've got kingdom speech. If you're living in light of Christ and you're speaking that and you, you know the words and you're able to recall that and you're, you're using your tongue for the glory of Jesus, you're, you're living and you have kingdom speech. But listen, and this is where we got to get careful because oh I'm guilty here. If we allow our pessimism and our sarcastic tongue to be what leads us we don't have kingdom speech if we spend time in gossip or running people down if we degrade the church of Jesus Christ we do not have kingdom speech we do not have kingdom speech we have earthly speech the Lord has called you for kingdom and lastly do kingdom works do kingdom works serve your church faithfully serve the kingdom faithfully listen if we don't have a ministry here that you would like to see started start it don't wait on someone else start it if we don't have something that that you think would promote the gospel start it if we have something get in on it you say i don't like that well get in on it i don't like how you're doing that well get in on it have you thought the reason we're not doing it well is because you're not being a part of it have you thought the reason we're struggling is because we don't, we don't have enough people that God's called for a specific ministry? Because let me just, we just clear this morning, we have church. If you come to me during Sunday school and say, Jeff, we need you in the nursery, we're, we're in trouble. Like, if I'm what's left to go into the nursery, we are in trouble. Like, I'm going to give them all I'm out and do and send them home. That's, that's just who, I, don't, I don't do, like little kids, I do one, his name's Caleb, he's mine. All right? So I love your kids, and I love that your kids go home with you. But if you leave that for me, we're in trouble. I'm not gifted that way. So if I go in there and serve, it's because there's no one left. You've been called to a specific ministry. You've been equipped for a specific ministry. You've been equipped for a specific calling that God has for you to serve your church and your world. Do kingdom works. Because when you experience the power of the Lord and you begin to live that, that's going to happen naturally. You're not going to be like, how do I get to go? And the Lord's just going to show you. Lord, I don't know. He's going to show you. But Lord, I don't know what to say. He's going to tell you. I don't know what to do. He's going to show you. If the Lord's called you to it, he's going to provide. The question is, are you hearing him? Are you embracing that power? Is that Holy Spirit speaking to you? this is what happens a lot. I get asked this a lot. Jeff, what if I don't hear the Holy Spirit? Pray that he speaks to you. And then the second question I always ask, is a little bit more difficult. Have you ever heard him? Have you ever heard him? Because if you've never heard him, he's not there. He didn't move in to become silent. He wants your life He wants you to experience the power of the Lord. And he wants you kingdom focused. Let's pray. So if you've never received the power of Jesus, we want to give you the invitation to this morning. You've never received Christ as your salvation. If he's not your all in all, if he's not the power in which you operate, if he's not the wisdom in which you operate, if if he's not Lord of your everyday life, then he's not Lord of all. So if you've never received Christ, we want to give you the chance. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I know I'm a believer. I used to walk in the Spirit, but I've I've backslid. I've become the authority agent in my own life, and I need to repent from that. There's an altar here. We've got people who would love to pray with you. We've got people who would love to walk with you through that. Be faithful to that. Be faithful to responding to the Lord. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, you do what God's placed on your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that there's power in your name. We know that we have power through the Holy Spirit, that you've placed that Spirit inside of us for boldness, that we may know and discern what your your will is for our life. Father, I trust that you're going to have your way in this place. Father, for the brothers and sisters who need to receive Christ this morning, Lord, I pray we'd see an outpouring of your Spirit. Give them the boldness to step up and be obedient as they walk forward and receive the precious gift of salvation. Father, for those brothers and sisters today who have been saved but have never been baptized, Lord, I pray you'd give them boldness to be obedient. God, you've called us to baptism. You said it's one of the first things we do after salvation. May they repent for their unfaithfulness, and may they become obedient. Father, for the brother or sister who has taken you off of the throne and they've, you've redeemed them, but they're not living in light of that, Lord, I pray that you would forgive them, allow them to repent and replace you back on that throne as Lord. And We're thankful you took time to come be with us, live a life we couldn't live. Die the death we should have died. And in your resurrection, in your power, God, you've shared in your power with us that we may live. So God, we trust you that you're going to operate here, that you're going to move here. Lord, we ask that your spirit be evident. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. you stand and sing with us?